0: Here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if
1: we end up here. This is the drop zone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. It's the drop zone. It's Sean Zock and Dylan DeChair. your favorite two co-hosts in the golf podcast space. That is a certainty. Dylan, how are you feeling? I may be better than you, Sean. I mean... For one
0: thing, I know you would never tell the listeners this, but uh, my my co-host is podcasting hurt today. (laughs) Had a a bit of a bit of an accident. I don't know if we would say injury earlier today. Is dealing with a dislocated shoulder. This could be your flu game. We have not recorded obviously yet, so I don't know how your performance is going to be. But I could see like an elevated, uh, you know, kind of a just a rising to the occasion and adrenaline game from you. So I don't know how that takes already, feeling, but I'm optimistic.
1: This is already a podcast that I hope my parents don't listen to because <laughs> then they'll get really worried. Uh, let's move on to the golf. Firstly, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs just lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. And what did we get down the stretch of a CBS broadcast between Jim Nance and Tony Romo? We got plenty of golf. We got them talking about how uh, Evan McPherson, the, the Cincinnati Bengals kicker who took the lead, and then actually won them the game in overtime. Um, it was a line from Jay Feely that actually compared him, this young hotshot kicker, to a golfer who just doesn't know what he doesn't know. He doesn't have any scar tissue. I thought that that was kind of typical Nance and Romo. Uh, when you get them broadcasting like important playoff football games, they just can't turn their golf brains off. Look, I mean, if you think about McPherson – I mean, you could draw some
0: cross-sport comps pretty easily if you want to talk about guys that didn't know what they didn't know. I mean, you think about guys that now know what they know. I guess would be the, the counter to that. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a young Jordan Spieth, a young Rory McIlroy, guys with swagger. You definitely would not, you know, at least today, talk about a young Will Zalatoris based on. Um, what it looks like when he's pulling the trigger from short range in pressure situations. But yeah, I mean, I think that there actually is a lot to that. There's always been a bunch to the field goal kicker versus golfer thing in my mind. But in my mind, the the role of a field goal kicker is so much more miserable because it, it's basically like you're hitting, a, you know, maybe three, four foot putts per, that's your entire competition. You're just hitting a few short putts. You're expected to make them. If you don't, you're, uh, you know, you're a bum. If you do, that's just sort of what you were expected to do. So yeah, I think having some
1: some naivete, there's value in that. When he made the game-winning kick, Nance also called him Shooter McPherson, and then Romo came in later with I can't support Shooter. That. <laughs> I know me either. I mean, it was really
0: bad. I think really that bad. I do have to say that, you know, I was just with a, a friend who actually, you know, he, he sort of was doing a scatter scattershot uh, wagering approach on the game. And hmm. one of the investments that he had was um, Bengals 27, Chiefs 24. Just exact score. Jesus. This is one of these things that I think this is one of those bets where the house hopes that you win so that, you know, whatever, say you, say you win a 200 yeah. to one bet, Ultimately you're gonna pay back about a thousand to one just trying to hit trying to regain that
1: magic in the future. So shout out to Pat. That happened to me in golf actually in two thousand and fifteen. Yes. I had the most ridiculous major golf betting season ever. Like and I know other people have had plenty of success, but I I bet on two people to win the twenty fifteen Masters, and that was during The December or the November prior, and it was Jordan Spieth and Martin Keimer. Well, Spieth was twenty-five to one, nailed that. Then I bet on uh, Louis Oosthuizen and I think Ricky Fowler to win the U.S. Open. Louis makes a valiant charge at Chambers Bay, comes up one stroke shy of the playoff uh, with Spieth. Um, So I, I came very close to winning that one, but then I nailed Zach Johnson among my three british open bets at 80 to 1 at saint andrews and then i i i uh i got jason day at 25 to 1 as well to win the pga so i nailed three of the four Sheesh. majors that year almost almost uh, the grand slam of major bets you didn't know what do you think didn't we've know. lost <laughs> do you think we lost all the listeners thus far <laughs> No, i think this is pretty good stuff they need to know their co-hosts um are occasionally degenerates um or associated let's move you know yeah, <laughs> let's move on to actual professional golf that happened this weekend. Uh, Dubai was maybe the most uh, intriguing field Like at the end of the day of the contenders. For me, uh, Rory was up top. You had Richard Bland up top. Young Hove, Victor Hovland up top. We need to start with Rory, though. You saw, and hopefully everyone listening saw... The shot he tried hitting into 18 when he needed a birdie for the win and needed a par for the playoff, he eventually makes bogey because he hit from about 267 yards. What amounted to a shot that you've seen me hit a lot. Big, blocky, wide open, slice into a a bigger slice shot that ended up in the water. Are we supposed to make a big deal of that happening to Rory, a guy who kind of crumbles sometimes these days uh, in terms of clutch golf.
0: It's been a weird stretch on the the DP World Tour, artist formerly known as the European Tour, for Rory, because the last few times out, he's been in contention coming down the stretch. He's played, obviously, really good golf to get to that position. But, man, he's making a habit of hitting it in the water on a par five <laughs> coming to the finish. Um, look, we talked about the the mcpherson thing here of not knowing what you don't know and in some ways rory pulling three wood from 267 it seemed like an example of the sort of irrational confidence that we want rory to play with right yeah i likened it to an nfl coach who is is down seven scores a touchdown goes for two i mean if he lands that ball on dry ground he wins the golf tournament you know 90 something percent of the time a lot of people in hindsight are saying oh he should have laid up at that point i don't i mean back of the envelope math you go to from 90 something percent if you clear the water to if you're laying up it's closer to a coin toss maybe a little bit more than that
1: yeah for a guy who's not really that good with his wedges
0: and i think what people are discounting there is you can still make bogey with a wedge in your hand that's not beyond reproach so but then there's a few mitigating factors and i think for Rory there's a few that First of all, he hit three wood, I believe, off the 18th tee uh, to to leave himself that distance in. He made a bit of a mess of the 17th hole, which is, for him, a drivable par four. Ended up getting away with par there. And then he had a little bit of mud on his ball on 18, and he also had to wait a very long time before hitting that shot into the 18th. So, I don't know. I mean, normally the, the NFL... It sounds like
1: you're not that surprised.
0: Well... Here's the thing. Here let me walk you through exactly my progression. I like that he wants to go for it there. I want to see irrational confidence, Rory. But I think given the mitigating factors there being a little bit into the wind, being that far back, having some mud on your ball and then having to wait. I just think there were too many barriers in his way. Uh where ultimately he should have laid the ball up. He should have, you know, if you're the better team in the NFL, you play for overtime because you feel like, look, that's where you're going to make your hay. Um when you're playing against Hav and Richard Bland, two of the hottest sticks on the planet. Maybe the <laughs> calculation changes a little bit. I like the instinct. I don't think that this yeah. is like a fire the caddy situation, which, you know, if you if you listen to the people and the replies on Twitter, that's kind of quickly where you head.
1: Oh my gosh. Leave Harry out of this, damn it.
0: Yeah, thank you. And No, I would agree with that. But yeah, I think it was a bad decision, but I mostly think it was just really poor execution. It was a bad golf swing. He did not... He did not swing that club with the confidence, the blind, dumb, naive confidence of an Evan McPherson. Instead, you know, there must have been some doubt or possibly it was just a mud ball. But it was a really bad swing. It was not even within 10 yards of clearing the water. Uh, And it ends up a solo third, which is a fine result. But given the circumstances, very disappointing.
1: Yeah, I think this is great that it happened in january you know we're turning the book over to february soon there's a lot of of big time tour golf that rory will play in the next two months before the masters we know that that is his bugaboo whatever it's the one major he hasn't won yet um if this happens at say the players you know like if rory hits a duck hook on 18 trying to win the players i think that's a different story when it comes to his nerves his confidence whatever this happening in the Middle East, like, in the middle, essentially, of the of the night, <laughs> kind of, um, for at least you and I who are, who are on or close to the West Coast, I, I don't find it to be as big of a deal. And, again, Rory is smart enough, and I think um, most often, like, takes his wins and losses with a grain of salt wherever they come from. So I don't think he's going to, like, fret over this too much. And the fact that he was in position to win is something that he will... I don't know. That'll matter way more than what happened, I guess, with him pulling the trigger with three wood. Um, young Hove wins. Victor Hovland moves up to number three in the world ranking. His highest ranking ever. Uh, I need the, the question really is: Is that a big deal that he's number three in the world now? Another uh, like the 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 young the youths up there are Rom number one, Morikawa number two, and Hovland number three. We're getting dangerously close to your bold prediction at the turn of the year. In which Thank you, you for remembering. In which you said that three Europeans will be atop the world ranking and it will be Rom, Hovland, and Rory. Um, I don't know if that was the order, but is this a big deal that Hovland is up there? That was exactly the order, in fact. It was Rom one, Mor-
0: uh, Hovland two, Rory three. Rory slipped into sixth with his third place finish there. Ridiculous. Um, which might seem like a pretty hefty reward given uh, the circumstances, but I think it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that Victor Hovland is ahead of Dustin Johnson in the world ranking, uh, the fact that he's ahead of Patrick Cantlay, who obviously got a, a you know a little bit of a benefit from the, the Rahm Memorial situation last year uh, and was maybe <laughs> artificially higher than he should have been. I think his proximity to Colin Morikawa is pretty significant uh, because we have talked about Morikawa in a way that we have probably not talked about Victor Hovland up to this point. As a generational yeah, Irons player, I mean, the comparisons to Tiger Woods, the the major championships probably uh, play, a, play a role in that too. So it's a big deal that he's number three. Right now, John Rahm has 9.33 points. Morikawa has 8.24 and Hovland has 7.15. So there's a little bit of a gap there, but he still has a significant uh, lead over Cantley, who's at 6.6. So it's a pretty clear top 3 right now.
1: Essentially, well that that difference that you just laid out for people who don't know the world golf ranking that well, another win is going to push Hovland into number 2 most likely. Like that's that's the margin here so long as Morikawa doesn't go out and win or contend soon. So yeah, it's getting tighter and tighter up top. It's always way more fun I think when they're uh, are people that can play for that number one spot. So I guess it's a big deal, but can I tell you something whole interesting
0: that I was, Oh, sorry. You were going off about hobbling still.
1: <laughs> well, I just, Continue. I just think that like his best wins have been on the European tour, the DP world tour. My apologies. He has not had a win on the PGA tour that like has blown you away. Is that fair to say? Yeah.
0: I mean, like we've called him the, the resort golf King, uh, you know, various things like that. He's playing argu- arguably the best golf in the world right now. Um yeah. he's won three of his last five starts. But yeah, I mean that that was Mayakoba, hero.
1: Is he playing better than John Rahm?
0: Uh, that's a very fair question. John Rahm is he he was mad all week and he nearly won the golf tournament. I mean, he <laughs> at no point seemed happy with the golf that he was playing. And and still was just about there, which, I, I really can't think of anyone else doing that except maybe sort of Spieth, um, since Tiger. So, I'm in the extreme short term, yes, Hovland is playing better golf than Rom, but I think you'd be foolish to say that anyone is a better golfer in the world than Rom right now. If yeah. That if that's yeah. an acceptable hedge,
1: yeah, I'll accept it. The best golfer in the world in in san diego this week (laughs) was luke list uh getting his first career tour win at Torrey pines this is a guy who's 37 years old and i think uh it's a name that a lot of people know right like he's 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 been on tour for the last 10 to 12 years he's never gotten it done he's contended a handful of times my main takeaway from luke list is there's this really cute video of him Hugging his caddy and then going and hugging his family. Uh, I would encourage everyone listening to go watch this. But what he does is he hugs his caddy and then he 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 picks up his daughter and he lets out this kind of like guttural like yes, and it's it felt like this one gigantic exhale. And I think most guys, guys who have won on tour before, they they pick up their kids. And it's, it's a very cute moment, but it doesn't often come with like that exhale, that scream. He legitimately screamed as he was picking up his daughter. And I was wondering, like, gosh, I know this is his first tour win, but like, where does that scream come from? And I think, I think in part it has to do with the fact that he's never played the Masters as a professional. He's going to play the Masters for the first time as a pro in two and a half weeks or two and a half months. He played in 2005- Seventeen years ago he played the Masters. Uh, and why does this matter? Well, he lives in Augusta, Georgia. That's where he calls home. like I think I think this guy is screaming because he has lived so close to Augusta National for a long time in his life and he has played golf worthy of getting there and he has never done it as a pro and now he finally did it and it wasn't even guaranteed. it wasn't up to him. It was up to Will Zalatoris on Sunday late. And uh, I don't know, Luke List. Yeah. He yeah. actually got it done. I would have, if you'd
0: asked me coming into the week, I would have told you, yeah, Luke List, he's probably won a PGA Tour event. You know, you'd figure that he would have picked one up along the way. Somewhere. He's been in the mix enough. He, I mean, he's a great ball striker. He hits the hell out of the ball. Um, but it's a good reminder that whatever on and off media scrutiny these guys get, like these PGA Tour lifers, these these veterans that kind of keep their card um, but don't necessarily excel, don't necessarily make the Ryder Cup or the Tour Championship or whatever. Like, they have their own form of scorekeeping. And for Luke List, that scream probably comes from the idea that, you know, he essentially now has three years exempt on the PGA Tour. That's a lot of relief right there. He has the monkey off his back of winning an event, even though it's not like you know with Tommy Fleetwood where people are counting down. Okay, yeah, he still hasn't won an event. He's doing that calculation, and I, that's probably a good reminder of that. Yeah, I mean, just the job security. I think that that's it's massive. I can't believe that he waited almost two hours. He was like he was like <laughs> practicing the entire time too. It was like a it was a Hao Tong Lee situation nearly with. It was like, someone get this man off the range.
1: Um, he said he was just enjoying the scenery, which, look, you and I have played some late evening golf at Tory Pines before. It gets chilly. It gets chilly, but it's gorgeous, is it, it is. not?
0: Yeah, yeah, the shadows get long, and I mean, yeah. I, I would argue that uh, drone shots have done Tory Pines better than any other golf course on tour mm-hmm. because the the sort of cliffy scrub in the background doesn't really look that good um so your just ground level shots are i think pretty forgettable on tori but when cbs hits their new uh theme music and they show you the overhead they pan out to the cliffs go out to number 12 or number four uh it makes a big time difference and you kind of remember how spectacular
1: that property is yeah it is pretty uh magnificent i guess is the word um, I think naturally, Gulf Twitter, that group of people, however indefinite it really is, they're probably most disappointed that Zalatoris didn't get it done, right? There's a lot of people taking videos of Zalatoris' kind of yippy putts. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that might be what we take with us from Tory Pines most. But, you know, on some level, this is more meaningful for Luke List than it ever was going to be for Will Zalatoris. Zalatoris is 25 year old stud. He has an iron game that is probably top 15 in the world. Um, all around, Tita Green, one of the best players on the planet. He's probably going to contend a couple more times this season, you know, before the, the end of the year. In the next six months, he'll probably contend a couple more times on the PGA Tour. Luke List is, he's contended like a couple times in his career, like truly contended. So this is one of those, those events where it's like, okay, darn. Zalatoris didn't get it done. We want the people that we care about to win, but at the end of the day, like I'm okay with <laughs> Will Zalatoris losing and a guy like Luke List like having a a career defining day.
0: Yeah, I think that that's fair. I think the the putting stuff maybe it gets exaggerated with Zalatoris because you see a, a few of those yippy strokes, but I mean, well, it yeah, really Yeah, he's in the
1: lead like the whole weekend.
0: And he he did not make a putt on Sunday he hit he hit 15 greens in regulation and he had 29 putts on those greens Mm. um I don't know what the I think he made one or two birdies on Sunday it was not I mean he hit the ball quite well but he you know he ended up 64th for the week on the greens he lost over a stroke to the field putting so definitely not good probably not as bad as as the yes as the slow motion four footer would suggest. I mean, all these guys are putting a little bit in fear on Torrey Pines, especially late in the day because it's bumpy. I mean, we've been, we've played a bunch of golf at Torrey Pines. They pump people through there. They were playing golf there. I don't know how many weeks ago, but not so long ago. And the North rolls a lot truer than the South. And especially late in the day, the South is a little sketchy, but yeah, there's no question that Zalatoris is kind of an infinity stroke going on it like comes back from the inside and comes through from the outside and if you watch his hands in that one slow motion video they are they're moving like laterally There, there's too much there's something else going on there that I think every every golfer can relate to which is just a little bit of fear um and it's a real thing but yeah it's maybe also overstated
1: is this a I want to know if this is a dumb question but like, are you a better putter than will Zalatoris? I don't
0: think so no i, I okay. mean, I don't think it's a dumb question. I think it's a fair question. I think that a lot will of people Zell-Touris, have to ask themselves that, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of you know online putter critics would probably do well to self reflect a little bit, but he he actually puts very well for the average golfer um but I think he's he works very, very, very hard on his putting, like by all reputation. Um, I think that there's just something in those short putts that does not quite agree with him. But yeah, I mean, in general, he's he's a very good putter. With that said, uh, whatever Brandel was saying a couple weeks ago, he made a really good point that the guys that went on tour are not the best putters in the world. They are the hottest putters among the best ball strikers in the world. Yep. The gap between, you know, Sean Zock and Will Zalatoris, for example, is a lot wider. If you guys were standing on a range picking out targets with six iron, than it is if you're, you know, going to go
1: down and play Pirates Cove, where I know you've had some <laughs> success in the past. Uh, I wish that was, you know, a joke, but it's true. Uh, what, what I enjoyed most about the weekend of the golf is that, and this is kind of a trope that I've trotted out before. It's just so enjoyable for me to watch a tournament in which the leaders on the weekend shoot 70 or 69 or or 71. And that is good. Like that is just good enough. And, you know, John Rahm on Sunday shot one under. Zala Torres shot one under. Jason Day shot even par, uh, not on Sunday, during the final round on Saturday. And all those guys were relevant the entire time. Like, shooting par does not move you down the leaderboard necessarily, Uh, or at least it doesn't bottom you out, in which you have to shoot 64 to win it. Um, I, I know Luke List shot 66, and, like, chased these guys down, but none of those guys felt like their game was off on during the final round. It, it, they were just grinding out on a, duff, a tough golf course, and it is just such a welcome uh, sight at this point in the season when, as we've discussed, you go from Cam Smith winning at 34 under into the La Quinta event uh, or the Sony Open, where these guys have to reach 22 to 27 under in order to win. Um, you know, Zalatoris and List got to 15 under and it felt like a, like a goddamn grind to get there. Uh, I, I love that type of golf. Um, it adds more variance. It is just a better viewing experience, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think six of the top 10 guys shot in the 70s on the on Sunday. Um, there's also something to Torrey Pine South. It's like it's almost come full circle where I think people were sort of over it for the U.S. Open. Um, because we we almost just see it too often but now that we've seen it that often it's like a you know it's it's a it's a familiar face We've come back now well, this it's is solid our, It's our third golf tournament here in 12 months and yep. Tiger has always played here so people know it and in terms of entertainment, When it comes to a golf tournament, knowing the course that people are on, I mean, that's that's half the magic of the masters, I would say. Um. So even though, you know, you can have your gripes about the finishing stretch for sure. Like, yeah, 14 and 15 just being sort of the same par four back to back is kind of weird. And the fact that 18, the only drama is just the fact that you dropped a pond into this, you know, area, (laughs) this inland area on a cliffside piece of property. And that's the main drama of the tournament. Like you can get golf architecture snobbish about it and you'll have a fair case to make. But from an entertainment perspective, having a hard golf course that rewards good ball striking brings a lot of uh, good players into the mix. And knowing the holes means that we know what we're getting down the stretch. And, And in terms of TV, PGA Tour, golf, that's mostly what you need, right? Yes.
1: I'm glad you brought up TV PGA tour golf because this thing ended on a Saturday, not a Sunday with only one reason in mind, TV mm. PGA tour. Golf. <laughs> barely ended on a uh, Saturday.
0: I should add Sean.
1: Yeah. Barely ended on a Saturday. Um, I have some thoughts. I want to get to yours first. Was it a great idea? Was it a success? Uh, I know that the, the, the viewership, it's probably not going to be that great anyways, mm-hmm. you know, Saturday night. Not yeah. everyone's gearing up to watch golf, but um, is it a victory? Is it a small victory or no? I think it's a victory.
0: Yeah. The real victory would be if like, if the NFL moved off of Sunday. like, <laughs> I think it's smart. I think it's making the best of a tough circumstance. Yeah. And I think that the people involved should be praised for making this happen. I think it was, it was really fun to have something going on on a Saturday night that is just like oh, this is cool. Golf can be a part of your Saturday evening. You know, like the way college football would be a a part of whatever you're doing on Saturday. Like, oh yeah, we'll throw on the Bama game on CBS at four Eastern. I think that the suggestion that, you know, all golf should move to Saturday during football season, I think that that probably has a little bit of merit to it too.
1: Yes, that's my suggestion.
0: I don't know, during the Hawaiian swing I don't know. You could kind of split hairs on that one uh, based on time zones and who else is playing. But I don't think that this is necessarily a huge win. I don't think that people are going to tune in like crazy on Saturday night to watch golf. I think that what is actually great is when there's nothing else going on on Sundays and people tune in ritualistically to watch the finish of the golf. So. What golf needs is not like Saturday finishes. What golf needs is the end of football season because people really do. If there's tape delayed CBS golf on people will tune in to watch that. Like, I think that this is great. And I think it, I think it's a good move. I, I, it sounds like farmers is going to continue having this event on Mm -hmm. finish on Saturday night. And I think that that's a victory. But yeah, I mean, I think we'd be lying if we said that also golf was going to suddenly take over Saturday evenings.
1: Yeah, I think this might be too much chaos, but I'm totally down with the fall season running all the way up until, you know, Super Bowl weekend being Saturday finishes. Like, let's have, let's have, let's take the baton from the NFL. The Super Bowl Sunday ends, the next Sunday, which would be the Genesis Invitational, a big event, Tigers event, suddenly we're back to Sunday's. Um, with apologies, of course, to March madness.
0: I will say even, all right. The thing that I liked the most about it was not the Saturday finish. I did like that. Don't get me wrong. But the Wednesday tournament golf was very fun. And the Friday, the Friday sort of end of work broadcast TV golf, that was very fun too. Um, then, Mm -hmm. you know, Thursday becomes a little more dramatic with guys making the cut. Like, it actually does really work. The mechanics of the tournament moving up in the week works really well uh, because golf is a an all time great background at work TV sport. So I I do th- I, I feel like it came off a little negative in that first part just because I want to like kind of temper expectations like maybe there yeah. weren't actually that many people that watched this event like the ratings are not going to blow anybody away. But I, I yeah I think that it's a victory. I, I'm on board with your take.
1: Yeah, the only thing that you can really poke a hole through it with is for farmer's insurance, for sponsors of tour events, it's nice to have tickets sold on the weekend. You get more tickets sold on the weekend than on the weekdays. You also lose a huge day of pro-ams. Pro-ams are huge things, huge money-getters for PGA Tour events. So are we talking about a fantasy world in which... You know, almost half the season ends on a Saturday. We might be.
0: So, yeah, I was down at Torrey with a couple, uh, for a couple of days, I should say, right before the tournament started. Uh, and the players were loving the the lack of pro-am. There was a Monday pro-am, which there actually usually is. We don't hear much about it, but there's like a little bit of a lesser Monday pro-am before a lot of events. There was one of those on the South, but a couple of the guys were saying, like, man, this makes a lot more sense than what we usually do. And what other sport would you, you know, it's not like the NBA, they're they're shutting down practice the day before a, a big game so that a bunch of local CEOs can come to shoot around. Yeah. And you shut out, you know, you have a certain amount of the roster, maybe eight guys get to come on the court that day, shoot around with the CEOs. If you're number like nine through 13 on the bench, you're – No, you're like, nah. maybe, maybe after our shoot around with the CEOs, maybe you can get a couple jumpers in. I think that that's the, that's the strange reality of the pro-ams, but yeah, they're a big time cash cow. I think they're really good for charity. I think there's a lot of good reasons. I mean, golf is different from the NBA for a lot of reasons. Um, But the players, I think, really like that development. So Mm -hmm. It's not realistic every week, but for a few of these weeks, I think it is.
1: On the LPGA Tour, Dylan, another big winner, Lydia Ko wins the Gainbridge event. She held off Danielle Kang, who was trying to do the beginning of the season sweep um, in Florida. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess it's good to see Lydia Ko win again. She was asked afterwards if she's feeling like she's back to being Lydia Ko, right? She ended her very long winless streak last year, didn't win after, but contended in some majors, contended in multiple majors. she played just like super consistent golf. She's won again. She won for the 17th time in her LPGA Tour career. Um, Did you get to watch any of Lydia's Finish or were you were you wrapped up at the Chiefs game? They were they were the ones really battling the TV spot.
0: I had a second screen experience going on. Uh, it's cool to see Lydia kind of validate what she did last year, which was really battle her way back into the, I mean the top tier of LPGA golf uh, behind Nelly Number and three Jin Young Ko. She's been right there. I mean, like there's a few other names in there. Like Danielle Kang is definitely trying to throw her name into the, into the mix there, but you know, inB park, Lydia co. Um, uh, it's awesome. Like the, the ability to, I don't know about recapture the magic from when she was younger, but basically just add a new chapter to her career, I think is really cool and should probably not be overstated. I keep thinking about this, the early success that golfers have. And then it's almost like they try to, they try to channel that same golfer because things came so easy then. I mean, there were, I was a little bit uh, shook reading Colin Morikawa's comments earlier this week. He's already talking about, he's trying to swing it. Like he was swinging it a couple of years ago or something like that. And you're like, man, you're supposed to have it all figured out right now. That's like the sort of stuff that Jordan Spieth has been saying of like looking at his old swings from 2015, 2016, um, so anyway, no, there's nothing, there's nothing like worrisome or negative about Lydia winning, except to say that it's not always that easy. It's not always that easy no. to kind of have this, uh, renaissance in your career. So pretty cool. And also to give up the lead and then take it back.
1: Yeah. She said, um, she said in her, uh, press conference afterward that she saw a John Rahm quote recently that had stuck out to her and it just kind of reminded me that there are a lot of PG tour pros scrolling Instagram when they're bored. And she saw the quote on Instagram. It was all about, it was a couple of weeks ago, I believe when Ron was basically just saying like, look, golf is all about like making the best score with what you got. And that means like playing perfect golf just isn't, isn't viable. You know, you're going to miss a fairway. So you have to make the best score you can make from the rough. And it might be a par on that individual hole, but she said that that really helped her because she puts these high expectations and standards on herself. And, and somehow sometimes when she misses a fairway, she really gets down on herself. And I can see how that happens on the LPGA tour because there's like a ridiculous level of accuracy in terms of hitting greens and hitting fairways. I was, when she brought it up, I was worried that she was going to misperceive Rom's quotes about uh, it being a putting contest but she was thankfully talking about a less hot version of Rom in which he's just being realistic. Um, she said she saw it on Instagram and it reminded me like remember uh, last summer before Nelly Corda won in the middle of, of June she was talking about how in, she was watching Bubba Watson on TV and how something that Bubba Watson said really stuck with her and that came from a conversation that Bubba Watson had with Matthew Wolf. And so it just, it kind of reminds me that like all these, all these pros are trying to do the same thing and they can glean little bits of info from each other that are like generally, uh, just like, or they're, they're just not that meaningful. But if they matter, if they matter in your head, standing over the ball, that can be the difference between like missing a cut and like suddenly flushing it all week long, being super confident and then winning your first event of the year.
0: Yeah. A consistent theme, I mean, there's a lot to tackle there, but a a consistent theme that I've heard from tour players that have seemed to figure it out is accepting imperfection, like accepting what you have that week uh, and playing with it. So instead of chasing after perfect golf, it's realizing that when guys win on tour, when, when women win on the LPGA tour, it's not necessarily because they were firing on all facets of the game that week. Like they still make a bunch of mistakes that week, but it's more like they don't make a bunch of big mistakes. They make a bunch of putts, you know, and you sort of just hang in there. It's like, you don't ever take yourself out of the mix. And yeah, uh, we probably, we probably always underestimate how much success is just generated by something that seems kind of, dumb like scrolling through Instagram and seeing a motivational quote um you know (laughs) who knows how much inspiration Bryson gets from literally just buzzing through Instagram I mean look Bryson had a renaissance just from talking to uh what's it Chris Pratt so yeah if we think some of these storylines seem too simplistic they're probably more simple than we know
1: some of the case well remember the big hit of the summer last year John Rahm quoting Ted Lasso saying yes be be a goldfish (laughs) sure
0: and it makes sense that's the thing like yeah yeah it kind of checks out
1: yeah it does uh do you have anything else for the viewers this week before we toss to uh, a fun little segment between us and Xander Shoffley shout out to Richard Bland
0: first of all um 48 years young I mean just relentless we we did this uh PGA tour well pro golf stock exchange before the start of the year. And we ridiculed James Colgan, our young coworker for taking bland stock. I, I think I compared it to staples because <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. Or
1: Motorola. I figured that it was comps. like,
0: I figured he had peaked inevitably Richard Bland uh-huh. had reached his peak, but here he was in a playoff, uh, on Sunday to win a European tour event potentially over Rory McIlroy and Victor Hovland. It didn't quite work out that way. He finished second, lost in a playoff. All well and good. Richard Richard Bland, shout-out to you. Um, other shout-outs, Jason Day hung right in there. I mean, the, I would have liked to see the finish look a little bit different for Jason Day. He bogeyed 16 and 17, but the fact that he finished T3 at the Farmers, uh, it's his first top three in a few years, I believe. Mm-hmm the guy has relentlessly talked about getting back to world number one. And I've always found it kind of absurd because he has just been slipping and slipping and his press conferences have remained the same, you know, say, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot of stuff so that if I can get back to world number one, like maybe I could stay there even longer this time. And it's like, (laughs) dude, you're, you're number, you're not in the top 100. You're, I think he entered this week at number one twenty nine in the world. Um, but you can't – if I could if I could buy Irrational Confidence for the golf course, I would definitely do it. So shout-out to you, Jason you'd Day. you buy
1: some from J-Day. I would <laughs> buy seems a little to be bit. be brimming
0: with it. Yeah, and a nice hole out on number 14 for him. There's a few guys that would like to win this year on tour. Jason Day is one of them. Another guy that has technically not won a PGA Tour event since 2018 is friend of the program. I mean, we see him as a friend of the program. He may see us as a nuisance, and you'll you'll get some of that from this next short segment. Xander Shoffley, he won the Olympic gold medal. He won the Tour Championship, seventy-two hole score a couple of years ago. He's always around the lead in big events, but uh, my man needs a win. We consulted him for something else, though. Sean, what did we ask him about? What's this new segment all about?
1: Well, in another another ode to Ryan Rosillo's podcast, we have taken one of his segments in which he provides life advice, and we've decided to provide golf advice. Um, So we had a couple people write in and ask uh, Xander to help solve their problems. One of them was about, you know, how do I avoid some guy at my club that is pestering me and I don't like playing with him? Uh, Another one was as simple as like, do I invest in lessons or do I invest in clubs? Because uh, neither of what I've got going on now is working. So Xander was a good sport. I think by the end of it, he was annoyed with us because he thought he was going to really answer golf advice questions. And really we kind of just asked him for social questions. I think that, um,
0: I think that Xander being annoyed though, I think that that's his favorite position. Like I think that he was having a good time. I think that's his most comfortable shtick is like, we're being annoying. He's being annoyed and we're kind of taking his time. Uh, I think this was fun. I mean, full transparency to our listeners. Like sometimes, we can get someone for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, uh, to come on the show and, you know, they'll be there to support a certain sponsor of theirs or something. And and we're hoping to definitely take advantage of that and work in some, uh, some fun segments and, uh, mix it up a little bit with these guys. So
1: yeah, without further ado, shout out to Adidas. Thank you.
0: Our good, good folks at Adidas without further ado, uh, hear a little bit more about the new Adidas golf shoes, and our man, Xander Shoffley. All right, Xander, we want you to dole out some golf advice. So we've accepted a few questions. First guy, 11 handicap. He says his seven iron flies, 155. So that's kind of the info you need to know. One of my buddies always makes me take a caddy when we play his course. I'm talking every round. He must not really trust his own abilities, but I don't see what he sees in the value. Having the caddy just makes me nervous and it costs me more money. Golf is expensive enough as it is. How should I handle it the next time he invites me?
2: Well, obviously your buddy is getting in your head. And you're making it very easy for him. Unfortunately, I would just invite him to his own course and not play his buddy's home course. I think it's a pretty simple fix.
1: 35 handicap. So this is uh, someone hopefully new to the game. Seven iron goes 140 yards It's actually pretty good for a 35 handicap. Obviously, I'm not good at golf. My best score was last week, 104, but my clubs aren't very good either. I'm using my dad's old clubs from the mid-2000s, but when you are a 30-plus handicap, what comes first? Do you spend time and money getting fitted for new clubs, or do you spend time and money getting lessons? My wallet is at your disposal, Xander. Let's hear it.
2: I mean, in that case, you know, if you're a 35 handicap and you're a little, you know, timid, I think, uh, first off, looking good, feeling good will lead to playing well. If you're not afraid to drop a little bit of coin, I would recommend getting a lesson first and then get a fitting and then get new clubs in that order. One, two, three.
0: All right. We've got an eight handicap. 7-iron with a baby fade, he says, goes 175. I'd like to see video evidence of that. My friend takes three practice swings every single time before he takes a shot. He then stands over it an uncomfortably long time. I've joked nicely that his third practice swing looks just as good as his first, but he never changes. Please give me a trick on how I can hurry him the hell up. Just walk off the tee box.
2: <laughs> just don't entertain is that how you deal with it how do you deal with slow players on tour here just leave i think you just kind of walk away or i don't know if the third or second or third practice swing is for the guy for himself or for his buddy because his buddy's clearly showing that it's bothering him you know golf is all mental it's all about getting in people's heads so i think you can you know start yawning or just walk to the cart and just kind of you know start driving away slowly and be like oh sorry i didn't see you there
1: Have you ever yawned in someone's direction in pro golf?
2: I mean, I don't, not intentionally.
1: Last one we have for you, Xander. This comes from a scratch handicap player. Seven iron is a tight draw, 172 yards. Okay, so there is this, yeah, there's this nice enough guy at my club. He always asks me to play, but he's slow player, not a super fun hang. I'm around the club quite a bit, and he is around the club a lot. So We cross paths a lot, but I am running out of excuses to avoid playing with him. Do I need to reassess my schedule? Do I need to leave the club when he is there feel like or do this I probably need to be happens more open? To Xander
2: a lot? I thought do I, I thought, need to be
1: more open to playing with him?
2: I thought this is sort of like a these are golf questions. These are all like these, I'm not here to be Dr. Phil. I mean
1: no, these are social questions. <laughs>
0: yeah, <these> are, <laughs> this is like dear Xander.
2: Yeah, this is a little bit of therapy here. I mean personally. <laughs> I try to be as nice and polite as possible, but you know, a, a long time ago, I learned that you know, just being very transparent is key. So, if someone thinks I'm being kind of an a-hole, um, I like to think that's their problem. So, I would inform this guy saying, "Hey, I don't know you. I think you're a very nice man. I like to play fast, and I, you know, I think you play very slow. So, this is not this relationship's not going to work out."
1: <laughs> I love that. What would you say at the so job zone asked
2: you to play? Hey, guys, you aren't very good. And I don't know what you do for me. So, um, you know, if we can find a way to have some back and forth, then maybe we can, you know, get a round of golf together. But for the most part, I just see you guys taking up my time. So I don't really feel, you know, the game go here. <laughs> we
0: need this to be is more giving. transparent, but I'm not sure I
2: appreciate it. Uh, you and I haven't been hanging out as much, but Dylan in the corner here—he's not even—he's so stoic. He's not phased by anything. I just see him staring into the camera. Nothing I just broken here. now.
0: I thought we were gonna play golf together, maybe uh, get a practice round in at Torrey Pines Sunday beforehand.
2: I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah, it sounds like really good preparation for me.
1: If You're here with Adidas. I'm an Adidas guy. Dylan's an Adidas guy but you're like way more of an Adidas guy.
2: What can you tell us about these shoes, Xander? Me personally and selfishly, I'm very excited. I am a Tour 360 guy, I always have been, and I've been looking forward to uh, to this year to wear the shoe. In terms of walking, you know, I just asked for the, the Tour 360 to be a slightly lighter, so they're able to sort of use the foam, to, to you know, add the foam to take out some sort of the, of the weight there in the shoe, uh, so walking's a little bit easier. We sort of went through shots that are hit on side hills, side slopes, up slopes. There's a new spike uh, on the shoe, which is very cool. Uh, the spike placements are awesome. They're very durable as well, which is which is a good thing. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, the heel the heel cupping of the shoe is very stable. The mid foot of the shoe is very stable as well, and then the forefoot has a nice bend into it. Uh, which allows that sort of walking process to be easier unless you're riding in a cart, which I know you boys are. (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, thank you, Xander. You've given us another dose of reality here on The Drop Zone. always fun.